Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Glover's Talk, Somerset Live's weekly podcast discussing all things Yeovil Town Football Club. Now, if you want to be freed from desire and have your mind and senses purified, well, you're in the right place because hopefully we're going to be talking about Francois Zoko being on fire. This is the place for you guys. Right, I'm your host, Liam Trim, and I'm joining me this week, as always, is Stephen Dalbiak. Hi, Liam. Yeah, he's our sports reporter, and uh, Mikey Taylor, Mikey T. I am also on fire. He's not, though. Incredible he's, not, he's not literally on fire, so no need for evasive measures. Or fire. Okay, fire. before we start properly and I get all my nonsense out of the way, <laughs> uh, don't forget to check out somersetlive.co.uk forward slash sport for all of our latest Yeovletown news and match reports and all of Stephen's content about the club. And if you enjoy this podcast, despite my weird ramblings, then do subscribe to Glover's Talk on iTunes and Audio Boom. Just search for Glover's Talk. Okay, so as always, we've got quite a bit to discuss this week. Uh, sadly, it's a less upbeat tone than recent episodes because Yeovil fell to a 4-1 defeat up in Hertfordshire against Stevenage at the weekend. We'll be discussing that. We'll be, we'll be discussing whether it was just a blip or a stronger cause for concern. It had looked like Yeovil were pulling away from the relegation zone. Does that result mean we've got to start thinking about a relegation battle again? Uh, we'll also have an interview with uh, midfielder Oscar Goburn, former Huddersfield player, of course. And also we'll have a quiz, which uh, Stephen wants to be on Francois Zoko, but I can reveal will not be on Francois Zoko. And we'll also be talking about how big a loss the likes of Arthur Krishak and Nathan Smith will be as they've got injuries at the moment. And also I might even squeeze in some discussion about Dan Byrne, a former Yeovil Town centre-back who was excellent for Wigan Athletic against Manchester City in a surprise FA Cup victory the other night. Right, we'll start off by going to Stephen, as always, to talk about Stephen Idge and how bad it was. Uh, I mean, there were some really great long-range efforts from Stephen Idge for some of the goals, but as is the case, which we've discussed a lot of times, haven't we, guys, this season, poor closing down from Yeovil. And yeah, I mean, just some... Some pretty comical moments in the highlights from this weekend's match, but not in a good way for you. No, not in a good way at all. It was, um, I think, to be fair, terrible, terrible performance for an hour of it. And um, it's a real shame because in recent weeks, Yeovil have improved tremendously and particularly on the road, where which really was their Achilles heel in the first half of the season. They were losing pretty much every time they went away. Recent games, they've improved tremendously on that front. I think it was only one in their previous five away games that they'd lost going into Saturday. And then it seemed for all of the problems that dogged them in the first half of the season returned. You know, it was defensively, it was quite lax. Creatively, they didn't look like they were producing a lot either. And um, I think you can look at the first two goals in two ways. Yes, they were superb finishes. But like you've alluded to, the closing down and the pressing and... You know, the midfield have to do a better job to make sure that those players can't get those shots away because it was Luke Amos with the first goal, it was um, Jonathan Smith with the second goal, and there were two or three other long range efforts that, you know, had either had to be saved or went, you know, not far over the bar as well, which Yeovil really didn't deal with. And um, first half, you know, it, you can sometimes, you know, say you can't legislate for long-range efforts, but if you're not closing them down, then if you get punished, you get what you deserve, if you ask mm. me. And they didn't produce enough going forward to show that they really deserve to get anything from it. And then, of course, the really, really frustrating part of it is they went in at half-time, 2-0 down, with a mountain to climb, but, you know, just 
maybe you know with that time to regroup they make a couple of changes and then go for it again in the second half there's always a chance if you get a goal early on that there could be a comeback and of course they come out in the second half and they concede within a minute to what is pretty poor defending in the box as well and that really killed the what, game what off. What do you think Darren Way said to them at half time? Well, he can't have been happy. I tell you that he, um, he really can't have been happy because the way that they played in the first half was pretty. Uh, it was pre- It was just. It was just not what you would expect them to play like when you consider that performances have improved tremendously over the last few games. Um, they've gone away to places like Port Vale, which was a tough place to go. They've gone away to Crewe, and yes, they may not have played that well at Crewe, but they were certainly much more compact than that. Port Vale, they went there and dominated, and were very unlucky not to get three points in that game and um, I think Stephen Jury is always going to be a tough game because their home form has generally been quite strong but you have to stay in the game and you have to compete for balls better than what Yeovil did you've you've got to you know be pressing you've got to get in their faces you've got to make challenges and if you don't do that if you get punished then you get what you deserve I have to say in in, I know that in recent weeks Yeovil have been playing teams lower down than than them in the in the table and sort of in that relegation mixer with them and and maybe that's where some of the positive recent results have come from. But in my head, Stevenage were higher up the table than they actually are. I'm just looking at the table now. They were only, I think it was only two points yeah, difference. Well, they could have gone ahead of them yeah. if they'd beaten so them on Saturday. Stevenage are in 15th. They've played 34 matches and they've got 42 points. And Yeovil were only only there in, uh, in 17th. And they're, they're on 38 points after 33 games. So they've still got a game in hand on Stevenage. And like you say, Stephen, that, that gap would have been uh, much tighter had they got something yeah. from the trip to Stevenage at the weekend. So, yeah, I mean, really, there's no excuses for, for not at least... Uh, well, I guess even the manner of the defeat, isn't it? Even it, if it's been a narrow win. It's the manner of the defeat more than the, the fact that Yeovil lost. I think mm. if you go up to a place like Stevenage, you know, quite close to the table, if it's a tight game and they nick it, then... You can, it's understandable, but I mean, to just give them the chance to get as far ahead of Yeovil as they did and to put the game out of sight and to be, you know, to be 4 0 down before you've even hit the hour mark, you just can't do that against a team which is near you in the table. I mean, you can't do it against any opponent, but when it's an opponent that isn't considered one of the stronger teams in the league, you've got to do better than that. And, um, it's unfortunate and um, hopefully for Yeovil it's just a blip because like we've said, you know, we've been talking about how good their form has been and it has been much improved in recent weeks, but they can't let this slip now and then go back into, you know, the rut that they found themselves in before Christmas because yes, they're 11 points ahead of the drop zone. Yes, they've only got 13 games remaining, but if they go on a losing run and the teams below them start picking up wins and picking up points, then all of a sudden, you know, it does begin to get a bit nervy for you again. Yeah, and let's just talk about, you know, I've already mentioned this to you, Stephen, you won't be surprised what I'm about to say. Perhaps the game's already gone when you're 3-0 down away from home, but let's talk about Stevenage's fourth goal. What on earth is going on here? So we've got Sam Surridge, who he knows that he's been a decent striker for Yeovil this season. He's in the right-back position. At one point, he's almost got the ball off the Stevenage player, but he just he gets brushed off it so And easily. he doesn't, and I, I think the even frustrating thing about that is that he doesn't even bother uh, tracking back. Exactly, I'm, I'm he seems the, to give up, doesn't he, Mike? Yeah, I'm under the impression that if you lose the ball, you should work hard to, at the very least, try and get it back, mm. really. And I think he just sort of stood there and it let, lets him get into the area, and that's how the fourth goal happened. It was a very, it was a comedy of errors, you'd say, and I think I'm, I can understand that, you know, heads were down, but, you know, you when you consider the fact you're driving all the way to Stevenage, you don't really want to 
be humbled away away from home because you think of the fans as well. Yeah, it's the and lack of effort there. I think as a yeah. fan, that would, that's what has annoyed me. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. it was. I think there clearly was. I think as soon as the goal went in straight after half time, I mean, you knew the game was gone. I think they, they, they their heads dropped, and it's really unfortunate because what is worth mentioning and what wasn't shown on the highlights for those of you who weren't there mm. was that obviously Yeovil pulled a goal back with 15 minutes to go. Ryan Seager's first goal for Yeovil because of a defensive error by Stevenage and yeah, 4-1 game's yeah, probably still over. But Ryan Seager. Yeah, Love first goal there. But, um, but um, it was about a minute after that goal, a cross came into Sam Surridge and he had a great chance, you know, a ball came up to him at head height, perfect chance for a header and he put it over the bar and you do just think, you think maybe, just maybe, if they'd, that had gone in as well and it's 4-2 for having been 4-0 with 15 minutes to go, all of a sudden you know start creeping in from Stephen Stevenage end and you just don't know what could have been possible. And and it would have been 3-2 if Surridge had Yeah, and, and that's the that thing, that you know, it's the sort of thing is that even if you're 3-0 down, the game is not completely over. I mean, Yeovil should know that more than anyone after what yeah. happened to them at Exeter last year. You know, if you... If, if you just get a sniff of something, if you get a goal back, if you start, you know, taking the game to them, if the opposition aren't in great form, which Stevenage weren't in particularly great form going into this game, if you suddenly get a couple of goals back, then all of a sudden they start to panic and then who knows, you may get something from it. But if you're going to give oh, chances and give possession away as easily as Oval did on Saturday, then it's very unlikely that you're going to get any, anything from that. Yeah, I think as fans, you want to see that never-say-die attitude no matter what's going on in the pitch, don't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, just to dwell on that trivia that we touched on there, Ryan Seeger, first Yeovil-born player to, to score a Yeovil goal since who, Stephen? Chris Weir. Oh, let him Mike, have it. Let him have it. In. Yes. And, and you know who Chris Weir is, Mike? A, a relatively new Yeovil fan, Mike Taylor, for those who's not listened to the podcast before. Is he, I don't know, but I think he might be a, a football league journeyman. But I've... what position did he play? Forward. He's a goalkeeper, Mike. This is why it's such a notable goal. Mike, Mike I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a chance to go outside, read up on your Yeovil history, and come I'll, back. I'll, in, go, I'll, I'll Google their Wikipedia. That was horrendous, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's why I, I, I see the club made it. Yeah. They, they were looking for the positives. In that this was one of that was one of the best goals that will ever be scored in Yeovil Town's history. I don't care if the club is still going 500 years. That will be up there as one of the best moments. You know, to see Wheel come up and head that ball in. And it was when Yeovil were right in the middle of a relegation battle to get a last-minute equaliser as well. It was and who was this against? It was against Hereford. Hereford, yeah. I see. Oh, what, what, a, what a goal. And I looked at it as well on his Wikipedia. So I played for Dorchester Town, so he's sneering around the area. Yeah, Wheel's had spells right at Derby, Leicester City. He's been all over the place, hasn't he? I was always a big fan of his when I was watching Yeovil as a kid. I must admit, seen him made some... Great saves at Hewish Park and also at Villa Park in the FA Umbro Trophy. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's just, I mean, very quickly before we move on, do we think this is, I mean, hopefully it's a one-off result, Stephen, we think? It's important you will bounce back on Saturday. They've got an opportunity to do so. They're at home again. They're against Carlisle, who, um, from the top of my head, are only three or four places above them in mm-hmm. the league. They've got the opportunity if... Um, they win there to put some more breathing space between them and the teams below them and it is crucial that they get something this weekend because this is the last game of what you would say of this kind run that they've had since before Christmas they've played 10 games against bottom half teams this is the last one after that they've got games coming up against Swindon they go to Colchester they go to Accrington all in March and it does begin to get a lot tougher from a Fitzgerald's point of view so they need to improve this weekend I'd I'd like to give the team the benefit of a doubt and say hopefully you know if they can regroup that this could just be a blip 
it is worrying when you see some of the performances that they've had away from home earlier in the season. But since that Manchester United game, they'd been on a really good run. They'd played pretty well. They'd shown a side of their game that they hadn't in which they were being much more resilient and they were grinding out results. So hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll get a good result on Saturday and then that can stand them in good stead going into what's going to be a tricky final 12 games for them. Absolutely. So Stephen has made clear there just how important this, this match against Carlisle United at Hewish Park is going to be. They're a mid-table team, Carlisle, and with Yeovil at home, you'd fancy the Glovers to hopefully pick up three points before that tough run of fixtures. Let's hear from Oscar Goburn, who's been uh, coming back from an injury that he picked up earlier in the season. We'll hear about what he makes of his time at Yeovil so far in an interview Stephen did with him earlier this week. Yeah, you know, like I say, we have a young team here and um, they're, all, they're all wanting to learn and, and I'm still wanting to learn, you know, and uh, it's good that when you've got a, the similar mindsets of, 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 of improvement and developing and, uh, yeah, they're easy to talk to and they also take on advice as well, which is good. And of course, unfortunately, you did suffer that injury soon after you came here. But for you, just um, how how did you find that that process of sort of rehabilitation and getting back into the team? I guess having waited so long to get a club, it must have been doubly frustrating for you. Yeah, it's a uh, it's part and parcel of football. You know, you uh, you come in and you like to think uh, you're going to help the team do well, and then you get struck down with injury, like I said. And it's part and parcel of the game. You know, you, you dust yourself down. You know, you uh, do everything you can to get back fit, and then. When the gaffer calls upon you, you know, you have to be ready and that's what I like to think I would do. Yeah, and of course, on Tuesday came back and no better way to, to come back than to be um, part of a winning effort as well. Yeah, you know, um, it was a tough game, you know, um, they uh, they came out of traps, so they uh, they probably got a little bit probably less to lose than we have, you know, um, they're, they're at the bottom of the table, so they can they can gung-ho pretty much, you know, and go for points and like you say, we, we defended well and um, yeah, we, we got the three points that was vitally important and now we look to Stevenage and try to get free there. I think a lot of people can pinpoint the real upturn in form. It's coincided with the game against Manchester United so since then performances have been very good. How much of a lift did that game bring to everybody in and around the team? Yeah, you know, like you say, any United come to town, you know, everyone will lift the game and like you say, you you be on the pitch with the likes of Sanchez and, and um, Carrick and people like that, you know, it, it automatically lifts you around around the training ground, you know, having played them and and seeing what they do on the pitch, you know, and um, yeah, it's, you can see after that game we've had a great turn of results, and yeah, it's uh, it's all positive at the moment. And um, I think, like, like it's been alluded to here, I think the, the confidence is there, and um, I guess every belief that you can just keep your momentum going and really begin to push on now as well. Yeah, you know, that's the, the guy for uh, Keith hammering home. You know, the momentum. You know, uh, winning, and you, you keep winning. You know, it, it spreads, and uh, we would like to to carry that on a Saturday and then take that further. All right then, so we'll talk about um, a couple of injuries now after, well, Oscar Goburn, obviously someone who's coming back into contention for Darren Wade to be able to select from, but we've got Yeovil's first choice goalkeeper and one of their, um, you know, uh, calm heads at the back in, in Nathan Smith being out injured. So, Stephen, should should, should Yeovil be stressing out at the moment? I don't want to say you'd be particularly worried. Um, they're going to be big losses because they've both been key players for Yeovil throughout the season, but... Hopefully, you'd like to think that in defence, at least, they've got the strength and depth to be able to cover for Smith. They've got Tom James, who's been covering in at um, centre-back ever since he was injured. Corey Whelan's come in at right-back. Um, they've got Bevis Mugabe coming back from injury. and um, So, they are generally quite well-stocked in the middle of a park. I think a goalkeeper would be more of a concern. And the reason for that is that 
Johnny Madison had a fantastic game against Barnet last week, and uh, you know I want to praise him for that because it's one of the better goalkeeping performances I think we've seen at Hewish Park in many years. You know he pulled off four or five really key saves in that second half to ensure you overwon that game. But he is inexperienced, and if something would have happened to Johnny Madison, then you're left with Steve Phillips, the goalkeeping coach, who's the only senior goalkeeper at the club, and he's not played in the football league for quite a few years now. Mm. His last club was Crew, um, so. That is an area of concern and Darren said after the game on Saturday that he is trying to sign a goalkeeper. He is talking to a goalkeeper who is a free agent and so um, I would expect that there could quite possibly be um, some news on the transfer front with that this week and um, it could be um, it could be something we need to do, not because Johnny Madison's done a particularly bad job and I don't think he did a particularly bad job at Stevenage. I think he maybe could have done a little bit better with a couple of the goals, but nothing that made a difference to the result. Um, but I think you do need that depth there so that if something does happen to Madison, that you've got another keeper who has recent league experience, we would hope, and who can um, come in and, and do a job as well. Great, okay, so that's reassuring. So it's more an issue with cover than anything else then, and let's just hope that Johnny Madison keeps himself fit as well. Um, we're gonna later on we're gonna talk about Dan Byrne and because obviously he played such a key role at Yeovil Town in, in one of their promotion seasons and he was excellent against Manchester City in an FA Cup win on Monday, February nineteenth. Uh, but we're first gonna have our weekly quiz. And seeing as Francois Zoko has played for both Yeovil Town and Carlisle United. I had to find a link to Zoko this week. Stephen didn't want me to, but I found them. No. And the link is that the questions this week are going to be about the Ivory Coast. That's and a really, nice really good link. I like that. Zoko's yeah. home country. So it's Stephen versus Mike, as it is every week. And Mike was pointing out to me earlier he's had a much better record in recent weeks, haven't you, Mike? Yes, I have, yeah. after your slander. Some wins and some draws. Yeah. So Stephen's certainly not walking it as he used to. So you're not going to be days. asking about Ivory Coast soap operas here, are you? There's no. Oh, soap... I'm, I'm, that's not my territory. Yeah, I can reveal. No, that's there's, good. There's no soap operas in this week's quiz, despite Mike's love of a question about EastEnders. Okay, <laughs> so the first question is: fingers on metaphorical buzzers. Which former Tottenham Hotspur midfielder is the Ivory Coast's most capped player? Didier Stephen got yeah. it there. Didier Zakora, he said, he whispered it uncertainly under his breath, but he was right. Didier Zakora oh, had... Oh, yes, I was just has, trying to think. I don't know if you remember, but he was oh, a real powerhouse in the top midfield. Oh, he was, he's oh, had, yeah. He's had 123 appearances for the Ivory Coast. I'm quite surprised that he's a record one, though. It's not something you think of as being one of their yeah, really, really star names. In recent seasons is when the Ivory Coast has, has become more of a, a footballing name, I guess. Yeah. Um, and actually, I guess it's faded in recent times, but uh, I won't say any more. don't want to give much away. <laughs> Didier Drogba, obviously, another famous Didier known for playing for the Ivory Coast and a, and a well-known Chelsea striker, of course. He's the country's top scorer with how many goals? 53. What was yours? 42. 42, says Mike. 53. Stephen says 53. And the answer is 65, so I'm going to give it to Stephen. Oh, really? That's a lot of goals. Bit of a spin-off question, sticking with Didier Drogba. Chelsea signed Drogba for his first spell at Stamford Bridge from which club? Marseille. Incredible preempting from Mike there. That was in around 2004, I think. If this was yeah. University Challenge and you got that wrong, I would have had to deduct. I was really hoping you were going to say second spell then, because I'd have just come oh, and you said, Yeah, it would be Galatasaray. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Oh. correct. Galatasaray is the club before he had his second spell. Yeah. Obviously, his really potent, successful spell was the first spell. And not, not to mention his uh, fruitful time in China. 
Yeah, let's let's not dwell <laughs> on that. So yeah, you're right. And Marseille was the club that Chelsea signed Didier Drogba from. Okay. How many games did Ivory Coast win at the 2014 Brazil World Cup? Two. Oh, two, yeah. You've both gone two. You're both wrong. One. It was against Japan. It was a 2-1 win. I won't be giving any of you points for that one. Boo. What is the nickname of the Ivory Coast? Oh, the elephants. Well done, yes. Mike. And that sets up a thrilling final question because Mike has come from 2-0 down to 2-2 and I've only got one question left. And guess who it's about? It's about Francois Zoko. Oh, for goodness sake. Don't give up. There's hope for you here. (laughs) Francois Zoko played for the Ivory Coast in the under-20 FIFA World Youth Championship. Alongside which former Wigan and Everton striker? Haruna Kone. Oh, my day. Stephen has shown his quality. You've been on Wikipedia this morning. That was one of the questions on there. shown his quality yet again. That's excellence from Stephen. It is indeed Aruna Kone, a Roberto Martinez favourite. And there is my link (laughs) for us to continue the podcast because, of course, Roberto Martinez masterminded Wigan's FA Cup final victory over Manchester City a few seasons ago, which ended Roberto Mancini's time in the blue half of Manchester. But then on Monday night, we've had a rerun of it and the BBC did some did a great job of interviewing the likes of Emerson Boyce and getting us thinking about that final and thinking, oh, surely the giant killing can't happen again. Not when Pep Guardiola's managed to sit in such blistering form. But no, 1-0 win. Will Grigg was on fire. Who else was on fire, Stephen? Dan Byrne, mate. Dan, Dan Byrne, former Yeovil Town defender. He was immense at the heart of the Wigan defence just as he was at the heart of the Fulham defence when David Moyes' Manchester United couldn't break down Fulham. What was it, 413 crosses in that game? ridiculous, where Moyes' men, they didn't really know how to play football, Moyes' men, they forgot when Alex Ferguson left Old Trafford, so they just started piling crosses into the box. But when you've got Dan Byrne in there, you're not going to win anything against Dan Byrne. So Stephen, just remind our listeners to the podcast, just what was Dan Byrne's role at Yeovil? Because it was a crucial time, wasn't it, when he was at Jewish? Yeah, well, of course, Dan Byrne was at Yeovil as a, as a young centre-back from um, from Fulham, I think 2012-13 season, and then he became a first-choice in the defence there, formed a fantastic partnership with um, Byron Webster and helped Yeovil to the player final at Wembley. And then his crowning moment was when he headed in the second goal against Brentford at Wembley and was the goal that ultimately won Yeovil Town promotion to the Championship. Wow. And um, I don't Always think any... Any Yeovil fan who saw that game last night would not have been surprised by his performance because he was doing that all season at Yeovil Park when he when he was uh, when he was down at Yeovil and um, it's great to see that he's not lost any of his ability since then. Yeah, and in fact, I've just uh, obviously loads of us use the BBC Football website. It's it's a good resource for keeping up with the national game. Uh, obviously, if you want local, go to Stephen at Somerset Live. But on the the main story on the BBC website today. There's a huge picture of Dan Byrne. And that's, he deserves that, doesn't he, Stephen? I think, yeah. And he is, I mean, people... I, it's, a great, it's a great picture as well. It's a lovely picture. The fans all crowd around him. He just sort of has this sort of distorted face of joy. Yeah. Um, and, and basically, Dan Byrne, as the five live commentators were saying on Monday night, he, he is capable of playing at a higher level than, than League One where he's playing right now. I would say... Having seen him play, the championship is probably his level. I think higher end championship yeah, at least. I think I, I how he's playing in League One is a mystery to me. He is at least a championship player. He's a superb header of the ball. You mm. know, if you've got a team that's playing crosses into the box, he will just deep them up all day long. And um, he's a fantastic player. 
Um, and, it's, and it's really good to see him, you know, get the limelight and get the plaudits that he deserves because he is a really talented player. I think his development at Fulham and was pretty much killed by Felix McGaff, who um, for some <laughs> bizarre reason thought he was a right back and um, really, unfortunately, yeah. messed him around a bit. I and I don't think he ever really could. From... He's quite tall and not very quick. Yeah, uh, it's not your natural. Although he did right his storming effort towards the end of the game last night to outrun Bernardo Silva and try and get the end so, of the yeah, ball. I so tell me, unfortunately, I was working, so I wasn't yeah. lucky enough to see the pictures of of Wigan versus Manchester City, Stephen. So tell me what you saw that impressed you about Danbury, because I have to say, on paper before the game, I thought, oh, Dan Bernie's he's great in the air. But yeah. Sergio Aguero one on one against him, I don't fancy him. Yeah, just positioning wise, I mean, he just he just he always has about knack of putting himself in the right place. You know, his heading ability is out question. He's just a really you know calm and composed defender. And I know that you know Will Grigg got the headlines. I know that he was officially awarded man of the match. But really, without Dan Burns' performance in the middle, there's absolutely no way that Wigan would have kept him out for ninety minutes. And it's really to his credit he. He and his other, you know, um, teammates at the back were crucial because Manchester City had something like 82, 83% possession. I mean, they absolutely dominated mm. there. They were putting balls in. They were trying to, you know, pass through them. They were tried everything. And just mm. no matter what they tried, Wigan couldn't get near them. And um, I, I think, you know, if I was given man of a match, uh, it would have to be burned. And um, hopefully, you know, this is this is giving them a, sort of like a platform really they've got another big game against Southampton to come up in the um, quarterfinals and hopefully you know it's a chance for him to put himself in that shop window and hopefully if um, if Wigan don't go up this year to at least for him to get himself up to a high level where I feel he deserves to play Absolutely well yeah Wigan they've certainly been pushing knocking on that promotion door all season in League One haven't they and I tell you what the way Southampton are playing this season I fancy Wigan to, to beat them in, the, in that certainly wouldn't put it past them I think they've got a great chance yeah so yeah watch this space on Dan Byrne let's hope he goes all the way and scores another goal at Wembley perhaps for Wigan this time I was going to say as well you're saying about the uh, the, the um, uh, them playing Southampton I heard a stat yesterday um, that um, Wigan have never lost a fifth round heavy cup tie and, and possibly, I don't, I don't know, I'm not sure about it, I don't know if they've uh, uh, lost a single, uh, won a game in the quarterfinals, apparently. Don't quote me on that, but I've heard in the grapevine. I don't um, think I'll be quoting on that because I'm not but, quite sure what you're trying but I'm, to say. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that history might be behind Wigan. History they, with they Wigan. might be Southampton, yeah. yes. And recent history, of course, <laughs> is, is behind Wigan, so let's hope it continues. Anyway, back to Yeovil Town matters, and I just want to finish by, we've discussed it already, but let's look ahead to that Carlisle game. Um, what are our score predictions? I'll start with you, Mike. Draw 1-1. 1-1 draw, Stephen? It's going to be a tight game. I think Yeovil, of course, this is the second game of um, Francois Oko's ban, so unfortunately he won't be available for the game against his former club, which would have been a great platform for him at Hewish Park to, to make a difference. But I think you will have enough firepower to cause Carlisle problems. As long as they turn up and they don't, you know, produce a performance like they did at, at Stevenage. If they go back to what they were doing before that game, I think they've got a good chance. I think they can, you know, come out on top and win the game. And I, I'd, I'd back them to win it 2-1. All right. Well, on that bombshell, it's time to end another episode of Glover's Talk. If you enjoy our podcast, as I said at the beginning... Do search for Glover's Talk on iTunes and Audio Boom. Stephen will bring you all the action from the Carlisle game if you can't make it to Hewish Park this weekend on somersetlive.co.uk. 
And all that leaves me to say is uh, Dan Burns on fire. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Huawei P Smart. Voor 14,50 per maand, 100 minuten of sms'jes en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust weken. Kijk op ben.nl. Let op. Geld lenen kost geld.